This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Madsplainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Today I'm here with Cap Time State Government reporter Brianna Riley, whose latest cover story looks at the unusually high number of Madison area open legislative seats and the nearly two dozen candidates vying for them. Brianna, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Natalie. So it's unusual to see an open seat on the ballot in the Madison area. How did we end up with four openings this year? That's a great question. I could not find the last time that the Madison area, Dane County area, had had four open seats. And this is just kind of an interesting confluence of events here that many people didn't really see coming. I don't think anyone had necessarily expected Senator Fred Risser, the longest serving lawmaker in Wisconsin and national history, to retire this cycle. But he ended up announcing his plans to do so. And then, surprisingly enough, um, Representative Chris Taylor, who was thought as his kind of natural successor, Um, who would then serve in the post and use it to run for a statewide office later on in her career, Um, she also decided to to retire. So those were kind of two surprising developments that really contributed to the volume of of open seats that we're seeing. So there are two state Senate seats open and two state assembly seats open. So that means that there are some Madison residents or Dane County residents that will have the opportunity to both elect a new representative, a new state representative and a new state senator in the same election, which is really exciting stuff. And these open seats, there are nearly two dozen Democrats running for them. Why so much interest? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to look at because one of the seats has just two Democratic contenders, but the other three have between four and seven. So they're very, very competitive races. And it's, it's important to note that the, the primaries are what we're going to focus on here for the most part, just because these seats are so blue. It's very unlikely for a Republican or an independent challenger to win in the general election in these seats. And three of the seats do have Republican contenders. So I want to make that very clear. But just given the makeup of these districts and how Democratic they are, it's much more likely for a Democrat to win. But anyway, um, there are a couple of theories about why there is, you know, the level of interest we're seeing. Some of it is, you know, just based on the fact that when when these seats do open up it, they're few and far between, right? So there are some people here that have been serving on the city council or in other local elected positions that have been kind of eyeing the state legislature for a long time, and now it's their chance to run. There's others that say that because some of these seats were held by such high stature members of the legislature, um, Senator Risser, for example, who, like I mentioned before, is the longest serving lawmaker in Wisconsin in national history, and Representative Chris Taylor, who was only in the legislature for a decade, but ascended pretty quickly to the legislature's powerful budget committee. 
So they both had very high-profile roles. Then, of course, Senator Miller, who's also retiring, has been at the legislature for a very long time. So there's the thought that, you know, these are people that were kind of figureheads in the Democratic Party that constituents interacted with for a for a long time in many cases. Um, so there was maybe some idealism there about, oh, uh, you know, now that that seat is open, it, it's my chance. I, as a regular citizen, can, can be able to um, or am able to run now and represent my friends and neighbors. So what's the field like this year? Who are some of these nearly two dozen Democrats that are running? Yeah, it's it's really exciting. Um, one thing I didn't highlight in my story that's really, really important and noteworthy is just how diverse these fields of candidates are. I mean, I had talked about the 26th Senate District a lot that Senator Risser is leaving, but it's really exciting to look at because this is the first time it's been open since he won it in a 1962 special election. And at that time that he was elected, you know, he made the point to me repeatedly that there wasn't a single woman serving in the state Senate when he joined that body. Now we have seven female lawmakers in that chamber, most of whom are Democrats, but there's an opportunity this cycle for the 26th Senate District to see its first female lawmaker, its first woman elected to the state Senate. So that's a really um, interesting thing to keep an eye on. But then there's also, of course, given how diverse the fields are, um, Dane County also has the opportunity to elect its first black senator and its first black man to represent the county itself in the state legislature. Um, I should note that in 2018, that election to succeed Representative Berceau in the Assembly, in the 77th Assembly District, was won by Representative Sheila Stubbs. And she's a black woman, but she at the time was the first black person elected to represent Dane County in the legislature. And that just happened two years ago. So there's an opportunity pretty quickly here to maybe continue those, you know, like glass ceiling shattering efforts and build up diversity in this body. And of course, there's countless other candidates running, too, that would bring a different or a diverse set of experiences to the legislature should they win election. There are quite a few young candidates in the field, which is really interesting to look at. Two of them actually um, are running in, in the 26th Senate district to succeed Senator Risser. And they're you know two young women of color and recent UW-Madison graduates. And they're Aisha Mo and Nada al who both entered the race before Senator Risser even announced his plans to retire. So they were they were looking to run for that seat even before they 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 had more of a chance, I guess, to do well in that election. So it, it's it's very interesting to see all of these different candidates and all of their different backgrounds. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So as you mentioned before, these seats likely will go to Democratic candidates. Um, Given that Republicans have the majority in both chambers, what kind of role do these Madison area Democrats tend to play when they're in the state house? That's a really important question to ask. Um, And that's something that the current and former lawmakers I talked to weren't shy about addressing. Things have sort of changed in Wisconsin with Governor Tony Evers' election two years ago, sort of instead of just being the opposition party in Wisconsin. Um, Democratic lawmakers found themselves with an ally in the East Wing um, in, in Democratic Governor Evers. So he's been able to kind of 
play defense for them um, and stop any policies that the party itself is opposed to. But still, in each chamber in the state Senate and in the state assembly, um, Democrats hold minorities. So they, they don't have really this cycle is about trying to ensure that Republicans don't get enough seats to take away Governor Tony Evers' veto power. Um, but still, Madison lawmakers and Dane County lawmakers do have a role, regardless of, of sort of what position their overall party holds in both chambers. Representative Chris Taylor, for example, said that it's really important that Democrats here push a progressive agenda. We see, for example, a lot of legislation coming from Madison lawmakers and Dane County lawmakers that wouldn't necessarily, that's a little bit ahead of the the policies that we've already passed. For example, legalizing marijuana, both medicinally and recreationally, quite a few attempts to overhaul the criminal justice system. Those often come from Democratic members of both chambers and other real, you know, important policy discussions that lawmakers, especially in, in this area, want to try to initiate with the rest of the body, even though there might not be the political willpower or appetite. So that, that's kind of how Representative Taylor sees it, is an opportunity to still push for um, policies that matter to constituents and maybe slowly move the Overton window into what, you know, what's more politically acceptable in a given year. Did you say the Overton window? Have you heard of that before? No. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. So it's basically this concept of what is politically acceptable in a given time. And then as, you know, sort of the country or individual states or cities progress throughout history, more policies or different policies become socially acceptable. So we're gradually moving this window, for lack of a better word, um, in the direction of not necessarily more progressive policies, but different policies as as more people become open to certain ideas. For example, gay marriage, that issue has moved a lot in the last decade, and people would ascribe those changes to this political Overton window basically shifting over time as we're moving up or down that spectrum into what's more politically acceptable or socially acceptable. And as you mentioned before, whoever we pick might be with us for a while. When Senator Fred Risser announced his retirement in March, he'd been in the legislature for six decades and, as you said, was the longest serving lawmaker in U.S. history. What is it about these seats that tends to keep folks around? Part of it is um, is tied to the fact that they're so democratic or so blue. Lawmakers, of course, always enjoy an incumbency advantage um, from election year to election year. But in Madison, also, given that the districts, you know, are as blue as they are, lawmakers don't necessarily need to fear having a Republican or independent challenger. So any, I guess, threat to their ability to hold the seat would come from likely a member of their own party, a fellow Democrat. But there's sort of a culture here that I guess it's been described as a wait your turn sort of culture. So so people kind of have it in their heads that once a seat becomes free, that would then be their opportunity to go for it rather than maybe garner some ill will um, with those in the party or those in the Democratic establishment by trying to challenge a seated individual that's, you know, either popular or long serving or has a high stature in the party. 
Um, so it's it's some of a combination of all of those things that keeps these seats held for a longer period of time. Got it. So our newsroom, as you know, uh, like many across the country, has launched a new project we're calling the People's Agenda. And we are asking the local public to tell us what they'd like the candidates to be talking about as they compete for votes. This is kind of the idea that uh, candidates themselves will set their own agenda, but we want to focus on what uh, the people and the voters in our community most care about. So we've posted a few questions on our website in an online form. Uh, It's at go.captimes.com slash PA for People's Agenda. And we're still looking for more responses. People can share responses there or they can text or call us. I'll share the number at the end of the episode. And so, so far, here are a few of the common themes that have come up in the responses so far. We've been seeing questions about climate change, including people saying they want to know what steps candidates will take and how they plan to convince others to care about what they view as an urgent issue. Uh, We've seen questions about election fairness. Multiple people asked questions about whether the candidates would support a nonpartisan redistricting process and what steps they would take to implement such a process. Some brought up the costs of campaigning uh, and influence of money on politics or their desire for easier ways for voters to register and to vote. And a lot of people brought up uh, systemic racism. They asked what candidates would do to overhaul law enforcement and justice system procedures. And several participants wanted to know what candidates would do to increase access to affordable or free health care, to provide social safety nets and reduce economic inequality, which some noted were kind of exacerbated by the current pandemic. How will these sorts of questions we're hearing from people and these priorities we're hearing become part of the debate? Yeah, so the great thing about us kind of working on this and soliciting responses from the community is that we have an opportunity now, if candidates weren't already planning on talking about these issues because they were part of their platforms or they're in their wheelhouse, um, we as reporters now have the opportunity armed with the understanding of what, you know, what community members want to learn about and hear about, we can go then to candidates and say, you know, you've talked about these other issues, but what about climate change? What about nonpartisan redistricting? How do you feel about these other issues that we know people in our community um, are invested in? And we have an opportunity this week, actually, this Wednesday um, at 7 p.m. Uh, to do just that for the, the 16th Senate District. So th- that has two Democratic candidates um, vying to replace retiring Senator Mark Miller. I'll be hosting that debate, so I'll be asking both of them um, some of these these same questions that that we just talked about, some of these same themes that we're already seeing in the responses. Um, So that's a way that we can help try to hold, you know, politicians or future elected officials accountable um, while soliciting, you know, reader input and community feedback. So please do fill out that survey. Yeah, and you can find that survey again. It's very short at go.captimes.com slash PA. We also have translated it to Spanish, and you can find that at go.captimes.com slash PAS. So please share that with any Spanish speakers you might know. If you'd rather text us or leave us a voice message, you can also do that at 608-305-4715. 608-305-4715. Brianna, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, and thanks for your work on the the people's agenda. 
Thanks for listening to my conversation with Brianna Riley, who's always watching for Wisconsin State House developments. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to The Mad Splainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.